immigrants and finances. That is the focus of this episode. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, Reina. ¿Qué tal? How is it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host. I'm so grateful to have you here. I know you have a ton of, of podcasts to choose from, but you are here, and I am grateful. Today is the last of the special financial literacy series that we've been doing a lo latino and through the month of April for Financial Literacy Month. And I am so happy to introduce to you another fantastic guest for you today. Let me share with you a little bit about Adina Applebaum. Adina is a social entrepreneur, nonprofit immigration attorney, and financial coach. She co-created Immigrant Finance with her husband, Mauricio, or Mao, to help share what they had been learning and continue to learn about building wealth in their financial journey after Mao immigrated to the U.S. from Ecuador in January 2013. Immigrant Finance has since developed into an online platform that includes personal finance and online business group coaching programs, a podcast, monthly live trainings and their community group, and educational social media content. They help immigrant families build generational wealth through personal finance education, online business development, accountability, and community support. In today's episode, you're going to learn how Adina's interest came to be in terms of becoming an immigration attorney, as well as her take on the biggest barriers that impact Latino immigrants' finances and the most frequently asked questions from Latino immigrants, how building wealth is possible for these immigrants and undocumented Latinos, as well as what Latino immigrants should know about finances. This is a jam-packed episode, which I am so excited to bring to you. Lista? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Adina. I'm so thrilled to have you here and your expertise as an immigration lawyer. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm really excited to be talking with you today. I think I told you that you were one of the first podcasts I found when I was looking for help in this area. So I'm very honored to be on the show. Well, I'm honored to have you. And thank you so much for those kind words. Now, let's start with you and going back. We're going to go back in time when you were a little girl, or maybe you were 10 years old, a teenager. Let's take us back in time. And tell us a little bit about your upbringing, any experiences, any lessons that you have to share that has to do with money that really impacted you to the person that you are today. 
Well, to start off, so I'm personally non-immigrant, but my family is Jewish refugee family that came a couple of generations back. So that's always kind of been a part of our experience. My parents grew up seeing uh, new family members come into the country and, you know, having like 10 people live in a one bedroom apartment and seeing all of that. It was always something I heard of. I was always very interested in immigration from that experience. And I think what I've learned in retrospect, reflecting over time, is how much that immigration experience from a few generations back does continue to play out in later generations in terms of money mindset. So I grew up fortunate in the sense that we didn't have to struggle a lot. My parents were the first in their family to become professionals, you know, comfortable in the middle class. And at the same time, my dad would freak out if we left the lights on or if the car was running, you know, and just like lose it and have so much anxiety and scarcity mindset. And I just remember those experiences. And it's interesting because when I work with people now who are recent immigrants or children of immigrants, I see that playing out. And I see how if you don't actively make the effort to rewrite some of those money stories and fears, it's going to go on for generations and really hold back your family legacy. So that's been sort of my personal experience. And then, yeah, it evolved, as I'm sure we'll talk about with my husband. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I completely agree how much it plays out because I know I'm not an immigrant, but my mom is an immigrant. And I I believe, you know, I shared the story with you that my dad is American. I was born in Colombia. So I'm technically not an immigrant. But I have seen things played out with the experience and even with me sharing or my actions with my boys in terms of you mentioned leaving the lights on for me, it's make sure we don't waste any food or because I have seen, you know, firsthand or lock the doors. And I remember when I met my husband, I was definitely just that impact of living in Colombia and just making sure that all the time we lock our doors in the car and the house everywhere, everything's locked. (laughs) And here with him, he's like, why do we need to lock the doors? It'll be fine. We can leave it unlocked. I'm like, what? That doesn't make no sense to me. And still to this day, I think we should be cautious. Like that's forever ingrained in me. I definitely completely relate to that. And as you mentioned, you're not an immigrant. You're great-granddaughter of immigrants. And you met your husband. Tell us about that because he is an immigrant. So tell us about that story and maybe personal struggles or challenges that immigration just brought to your family. Definitely. My husband is an immigrant from Ecuador. And I'm laughing when you were what you were just saying, because he is constantly worrying about making sure the door of the car is locked and and the house. It's like when you grow up in a place with a lot of crime, it's constantly on your mind. That was actually one of the main reasons he always wanted to leave Ecuador because he didn't feel safe there. You know, things had happened. And anyway, so we met there. I was in Ecuador for a summer internship in 2012, beginning my career as an immigration lawyer. I went to go work with refugees there. And we met through a mutual friend, one of my best friends from college, who he had worked with in an internship as well in Vienna. And she introduced us and, you know, we fell in love. It was like this amazing story. But then it was, well, how are we going to be in the same place? And this will, everyone's telling us this will never work. And what are we going to do? You know, so we went through the whole process of trying to figure out 
how to be in the same place, how he could get a job in the US. We weren't ready to get married. We didn't want to get married for that reason. He didn't, at least I was okay with it. But <laughs> but um, he wanted to wait, you know, and so it was a big struggle. We had years where he was short term independent contracts, it would be like, for a couple months at a time at an international organization. And then we wouldn't know if it would end and we'd be in a, you know, have to be in different countries again. It was just constant anxiety and insecurity of like, would we be able to be in the same place? Is he going to get a paycheck the next month? And then plus all of the experiences of navigating the financial system, he had never had credit before credit card. They don't really use it much in his community in Ecuador. And we didn't know if he was allowed to have a credit card or to have a bank account in the US, just kind of basic things like that, that were so anxiety provoking to figure out. I was a law student at the time, and I still really struggled figuring it out. There was just nothing on the internet out there about finances for immigrants that I could find. There were no books about it. So it was really like figuring it all out on our own. And that led us to eventually start blogging about it on our website, immigrantfinance.com. I am so glad that you're doing that because when I think back to when we moved to the US, because you mentioned some of those challenges. Well, my mom and dad, we, of course, I was born in Colombia, as I mentioned. And then they decided for financial reasons to move to the US. There was a lot of instability, financial instability in terms of both college educated and my dad, I don't know if it was because he was foreign there in Colombia, just maintaining a job or having a job or finding a job was difficult. And so it was like making ends meet from baking bread, you know, with along with him teaching English as a second language, because he couldn't find a a job in his own uh, field to pumping gas. I mean, all those things. And so they decided to move to the US. But my mom, that first year that we moved, she stayed back. I think it was uh, maybe some paper. It could have been. I don't know the details. I was little. But it makes. And so imagine, you know, I'm thinking to those couples like you, that my mom did not see her kids for a year. And I can't imagine that. Yeah. Like how difficult. And then she gets to the US and then her kids forgot to how to speak Spanish. She didn't know any Spanish. <laughs> that's, that's a side note. But and then she had to start over. And essentially, she had to start over. So that was difficult. So I definitely see the things that you're because it's a similar, it's a similar instance. My dad's American and you're American and uh, my mom from Colombia. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm so glad, as I mentioned earlier, that you started this journey of sharing, blogging and sharing that your experience with others, because as you mentioned, it's hard to maneuver and navigate and understand all those can we do this or can we not? What? And I'm so glad that you're doing this because you're helping others navigate those waters as well. Thank you. A part of it was really out of desperation too, because in my day job, I'm an immigration lawyer at a nonprofit. So I've seen how these issues have affected, you know, hundreds of, of immigrants I represented in that role and how finances play a role in their immigration cases. And you can imagine doing this work the past four years under the last administration has been very dark and I was also just really desperate for a way to empower people more and help immigrants be in a place where they can be advocating for themselves and having options. So finances, I've, I've found, is a really important way to do that. 
because everything relates to money and finances. Right? Everything does relate to money. Now, as an immigration lawyer, what have you seen in your work, the biggest barriers that come up over and over for Latinos? I mean, I'm sure it's probably... It's not just for Latinos, but maybe if there are some specifically for Latinos, you don't just work. I mean, you're an immigration attorney, so you work with immigrants, period. But what would you say are some that come up over and over again for Latinos or maybe, again, if it relates to other immigrants that impacts their finances? Well, in the immigration system, the main one is being able to afford a lawyer. There's no public defender system in immigration court. So the vast majority of people are unrepresented, representing themselves against a government attorney before a government judge. And there's studies showing if you can afford a lawyer, or if you're lucky enough to get one from a nonprofit, which is really rare because of limited resources, you can be eight to 10 times more likely to win your case. So it really actually comes down to money, unfortunately. It's incredibly unjust. That is what the current situation is without access to counsel provided. So it's the main thing is the lawyer and having a chance to fight if you are in immigration court. There's also all the fees to go through the immigration process. Large number of people don't even have the ability to seek any status in the immigration system because of how harsh the laws are. But for those who do, there are a lot of very expensive fees. I know when we went through the green card process with my husband, we ended up spending thousands of dollars on all the fees adding up and with naturalization. And I was doing it myself. We didn't even have to pay for a lawyer and it still costs us a lot. So it's an example of all the separate financial needs that immigrants have to budget around and save for that aren't talked about in the personal finance books and pointed out. And then it can come in an emergency situation and people can be unprepared. That's really a big one. But there's also just things like needing to send money abroad regularly every month or being the retirement plan for your parents because they weren't taught to have a retirement plan or they don't have access to saving for retirement. And that can be a huge burden on people that puts a lot of stress. So all types of particular demands that immigrants face in the financial system, plus all the barriers to like accessing it all and figuring it all out. And that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's like just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> that is just the tip of the iceberg. And is there anything that you have seen that is more specific to Latinos that you would say is more specific to Latinos? I think all the things I just mentioned, because the majority of immigrants are Latino these days. So it just kind of works that way that they're the ones who are experiencing these issues the most, but they can apply across the board. I mean, everyone's situation is individual circumstances. And there's obviously many Latino immigrants who have more resources and options and access to education about this stuff, but many who don't. Another thing that I've seen a lot in particular with Latino immigrants is scarcity mindset. And I think there's so much to say about this, but it's this fear of not having enough, which we all have that. We all have money mindset issues and challenges like every person. But there's something about the way Latinos have been treated in this country and how the laws and systems have often treated Latinos as a source of cheap labor that really affects people's mindset and how they view 
themselves with money and building wealth. That is very significant. Right. And my mind is just uh, going all over the place with what you're saying, because absolutely, I can completely see that. And then the other aspect, in terms of wealth building, it's not depending on which socioeconomic level, educational level, there's so many variations of not just mindset, but obviously what they know. And what they think about wealth building, right? Because it's maybe not even in the picture. Because as, as Latinos, we were, we're taught to work hard to survive, to take care of family. And this not necessarily, and depending on the family, there's so many factors, as I mentioned, but it's not building wealth is not necessarily in the picture. I know when I've talked to my parents, the biggest difference in between them because I had a conversation about their money stories. They didn't come on the podcast, maybe one day, <laughs> but I interviewed them separately because I was just really curious because I know that there have been differences. And what the theme that I saw with my parents is that my dad is an American. What he valued more, they both valued security, but how they saw security was different. And for my dad, the security was that retirement fund was is that insurance, life insurance. For my mom, that security was more of a home. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think a lot of Latinos are there, like the home the, that is like the big aspiration, the big dream where, yeah, that's an important part, but the other aspects aren't talked about, right? Well, yeah, I've seen that in my own relationship with, with my husband play out for sure. And I can't generalize to how Latinos are in general, but from my personal experience and what I've seen with clients I've worked with here are Latino is like, yes, the having a home is like number one financial goal for a lot of people. That was my husband's top goal and something we prioritize because of that. But it's also this idea of like, I think you were touching on it. All I really need is like, to be comfortable. Like I, there's a saying, one of my students said that her mother would say is like, why do you need more? Like we have beans and rice, basically. Like we have all we need. (laughs) I'm like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And I had to work on this a lot with my husband with beginning to invest because people don't invest in his country, really at least in his community. And he didn't really understand the long-term importance of it in the U S since he was new to the U S in terms of like, you're on your own for retirement. Like no one's, the government's not coming to help. We don't have pensions here. Like like in many Latin American countries. And he's like, why would I give away all my money now for when I'm old and can't enjoy it and struggle now when I'm young and want to be happy? (laughs) And so getting over that was a big mindset shift, you know, and Oh, there's so much to talk about. (laughs) Right. And then when you were saying about, well, we've got beans and rice, I completely see and relate to that because I've had, even with my parents being from two different cultures, before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. I still had that ingrained in me in terms of I still felt that way. Because for a while, even though I was determined I was going to be in a better position than my parents financial position, I still in my own brain was like, well, I should be grateful. Why do I want more? I felt that 
guilt and like not a necessity. I think that also, and the other thing to touch up on that I always find this interesting in Latino culture, and I don't know if you've seen this with your husband's family, is that Dios va a proveer, God is going to provide. It's that leaning on your faith, which nothing wrong with that because I'm a person that I believe in God, but is leaning too much in my opinion. I think there's definitely we need to have faith, but we need to take some action as well. And I see that in Latino culture too. Yeah. I don't know if you relate with your husband's family. Yeah. I think it's important to like make that distinction between gratitude and like staying in your comfort zone. Yeah, is what comes up. But something that feels related to that that I see a lot with the people I work with too is like giving to everyone else besides yourself. And this, the community aspect, which is something that is one of my favorite things about at least Ecuadorian culture that I've seen and many Latino friends I have. It's so communal, but that puts people in a place where they're always giving their money away to family members and they're not protecting themselves and building that sustainable base so that they can be in a place to continue supporting family members going forward. So yeah, it feels related somehow. I don't know. Right. Now I'm curious as to what are some of the most common questions that you get as an immigrant lawyer that's tied to finances? Because it is Financial Literacy Month. And I'm curious what kind of questions you get most commonly. In my role doing financial coaching or in my role as an immigration lawyer? <laughs> it's different. Well, because as you're financial coaching, you're coaching immigrants, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say that. Let's just go with that. And if some come up in your as your role as a lawyer, yeah, for for sure. Either one. Yeah, the lawyer ones are very like focused on the immigration legal system. But from the coaching I do with immigrants and family members of immigrants, the big one is how can I invest? There's a lot of confusion about how to be investing, whether you're allowed to invest if you're an immigrant, whether you can invest if you don't have any status or if you have kind of a temporary or pending status. So that's a really big one that comes up. Also just like managing money, paying off debt, budgeting, building your credit score, that kind of thing. And increasingly what I've seen over time is also how to make more money, or at least that's something I'm encouraging people to think about. So that starts to become a lot of the conversation because just personally, how I feel about personal finance, the more and more I learn about it is like, yeah, we can budget perfectly and do everything we're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, if we don't make more money, we are not going to get out of our situation. Like it's really hard to build wealth if your budget stays small. So encouraging people to start side hustles, to start online businesses and like think about how they can become more financially empowered and generate income on their own. So they're not having to rely on an employer. Oftentimes an employer who's being committing labor abuses and not treating them well, you know, giving people more independence has been something that's very important. Absolutely. And one thing that you mentioned, one of the questions was how can I invest, which that it lit me up because we were just talking about how Latinos don't think about investing, but 
obviously there's some shift going on, whether it's with the work that you're doing, because obviously you play an influence in that, or in addition to other things. So I'm loving that they're asking those questions. Now, I want to dig deeper into that. So for the person listening to this episode, and they're curious about investing, maybe they are a DACA recipient, maybe they what you mentioned, a pending status, maybe they have no status. Tell us like, you know, in terms of investing, what are either the limitations that they have, or what can they invest in? Yeah, so it's actually a simple kind of answer. Generally, I mean, there's a lot of caveats, but Generally, all immigrants can invest. If you are living in the U.S. the vast majority of the year, you are often eligible. And something helpful to think about is that the immigration laws are separate and distinct from the tax system and the IRS. There's privacy laws protecting the information that goes through the IRS. So that's why there are millions and millions of undocumented immigrants that pay taxes. And they don't have immigration problems because of that. So it is something that can be done. What gets tricky is if you don't have a social security number. So DACA recipients have social security numbers. So they can go about and participate in financial products, bank accounts, credit cards, investing as if a citizen, which is amazing. And then for people who don't have social security numbers, there's something called an individual tax identification number or ITIN, some people call it TIN. And that's an alternative kind of ID number you can get with the IRS if you're not eligible for social security number. And that can be used to do the same things. Not every bank and investment firm and credit card company will accept it, but a lot of the national ones will. So a lot of this is about learning to become a financial advocate for yourself and just like call up and ask and kind of advocate for your rights and say, you know, I have an ITIN. If if you're able to get one, it's pretty straightforward to get. You just apply form W-7 to the IRS and see which types of financial companies will allow you to use that to invest. Perfect. And I'm glad you clarified that, especially for someone that's listening that has maybe hasn't invested for whatever reason, but wants to and has feared that because maybe they don't have a status and they're like, well, how can I do this? Maybe I'm not eligible. Maybe I can't, but that is good to know. So what I understood is everyone can invest if they're living in the US. Where it gets tricky is if you don't have a social security number, but you can apply for an ITN Mm -hmm. and do it that way. But in terms of like credit cards, I think Yuma had mentioned credit cards, not all of them accept, or you said the national ones will accept. With banks, credit cards, investment brokerage firms, like there are some in all those categories that won't accept an ITIN, unfortunately. Got it. But a lot of the big national ones will. Okay. Good to know. That is, I am learning here too. Yeah. And so just to clarify, so it can get more complicated if you're not living in the US all the year. There's some tax rules that can affect that, whether you're eligible to be investing. It can get more complicated if someone is not paying taxes, which by the way, a lot of undocumented immigrants do pay taxes, just to clarify that. (laughs) Yep, definitely well aware of that, but yes. Yeah, so there's some tricky things, like definitely work with, if you're interested in this and listening, like reach out to an accountant to learn more if you have some of those complicating factors 
and see if you can get some help. You can also reach out to us. We're happy to help. Perfect. Thank you for this. Now, to wrap this up, because we are in the middle of Financial Literacy Month, I wanted to ask you, what do you want Latino immigrants to know about finances? I know we spoke a lot about different things, but what are some things that you want them to take away from this conversation or that, or even if we haven't brought it up, something that you want them to take away as an immigrant that you feel would be impactful? Ooh, that is such a good question. There's so much I want to say. If I had to pick something, to start seeing building wealth and investing as an act of resistance, that's how I view it. It's a very political act to be doing because at the end of the day, people in society who are building wealth have more of a say and have more power. And like, unfortunately, this is how the system is. But the legal system, the political system, the financial system, the economy is very much driven by people who have more options financially. And it's really hard to get there if you don't take affirmative steps to advocate for yourself, to learn about finances, to start investing, to find ways to increase income. There is a way to get there, but you do have to take a lot of action steps. So just sometimes it's motivating. If you personally don't feel like you need to be building wealth or you don't see yourself as someone who should be doing that, think about the impact it has on the larger Latino immigrant community and what you're doing for the community by doing that. Because even if you don't believe in capitalism, participating in the system makes you uncomfortable because of all the injustices. You are at the end of the day, if you're building wealth, building power for your community and giving people more options and more of a say, and we need that. Beautiful. And I wanted to follow up because you mentioned a few times, advocate for yourself. Now I'm putting myself in the shoes of an immigrant. And if that immigrant, no matter document, you know, if they have status doc, I don't know what the right terminology is, because I noticed you've said no status, I said under documented. But anyways, Mm -hmm. so if I put myself in the shoes of an immigrant, and you mentioned that advocate for yourself, and let's say they're on the side of they have no status, how, and there's that fear, well, how can I go advocate for myself where I don't have the paperwork? Yeah, I mean, getting the I-10 is a great way, because that opens up so many doors. If you don't have an I-10, it's going to be hard to even have a bank account. And so just getting out of living in a cash only lifestyle, it's going to give you more protection, just the act of getting a bank account so that, you know, you're not at risk of someone stealing all your cash so that your money can start growing for itself a little bit instead of losing value due to inflation. I mean, even in bank accounts, it's still losing value with inflation, but (laughs) yeah, you can start investing, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, that does. And I'm glad you said that because of course, Latinos are underbanked or unbanked, right? In general, not all. And I'm talking in generalizations for you listening. This is all in generalizations. But so I'm glad you mentioned that because what I'm hearing is if you have an I-10, that is like a step in being able to advocate for yourself more powerfully because of the things that you mentioned, you can open up the bank account, you can do different things. And with having that, it puts you in a more powerful position. Definitely. And at that point, you know, you're a consumer, and you have a right to ask questions of the bank, 
or the credit card company or the investment company, ask them to explain things to you, ask what your options are. And they want your money. Like the bank makes money off of you. (laughs) They go and lend it to other people and make money off it. So you're doing them a favor. So just kind of shift, I think overall shifting that dynamic that the immigration system often puts people in where they're in a place of being disempowered and just viewing that system as separate as the financial system. Like it's not about that. You are the one, it's your money and and you have the right to ask for things and, and learn more. I love that because for those listening that maybe has a family member that distrust the financial system, because that's another issue, right? We can completely go on and on about this. But for a family member that maybe distrusts thy financial institutions and is hesitant, mm-hmm. that I think is a bonus or like an advantage that we can share with those family members. Hey, with this ITN, think about it in this perspective on the things that we just shared. So for you listening, if you are been wanting, you've been trying to encourage a family member to open up a bank account, but they have that distress that this might be a good avenue to share with them. And tell them about the FDIC insurance that Mm -hmm. most, at least national banks have, where what that means is if you know, if the economy collapses, if there's a huge recession, depression, the government will back up up to $250,000 in that account. And that doesn't exist in a lot of countries. I think we talked about when we were on the phone, when my husband was growing up in Ecuador, the economy crashed, they had several presidents in one year, and all the bankers took everyone's money and left and went to Miami and everyone lost their life savings. So that's because they don't have things like that FDIC insurance that we have. Right. Oh my goodness. Different. But a lot of people are like viewing banks that way because of what happens in their home countries. Right. Right. So I think it's a combination of that. And then on top of that, they get here and the banking system doesn't do a good job of providing, this is what you get with the service, right? It's very legal jargon, lots of legal yeah. jargon, right? And I think I'm sure that's changing. Not every single bank (laughs) kind of analyzing and and investigating this. So I I think that's changing and will be changing over time, especially given that Latinos are really such a Mm -hmm. significant part of the U.S. population. But there's so much to talk about, Adina. I really appreciate your time. (laughs) I appreciate everything that you shared from your story, from your experience with your husband, from your own expertise as an immigration lawyer, as well as on top of that, you do some financial coaching for immigrants, which is uh, fabulous. So I appreciate you you being with us here today and, and sharing all that you did. Keep up the work and keep up your leadership. We need you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And just thank you again for really being one of the first resources we could find when we were trying to figure this stuff all out. So I appreciate your work and your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I definitely learned some things. I am no immigrant attorney. I have no law degree. I have no experience in this area. So I definitely learned from Adina and I hope that you did too, or maybe you connected and what she shared resonated with you because you have lived through this. As you remember, I personally do not 
have the experience of a traditional immigrant because I was born a U.S. citizen. So I don't have that experience. And so for me, it's really important to understand and to learn and really so I can help you better. And I, I just hope that this was as useful for you and at least that you connected and say yes and, and learn something from it as well. You can connect with Adina over at immigrantfinance.com. Remember, she has a podcast as well that you can check out, and that's all on the website. Now, if you have been listening to this podcast for the past few weeks, you have heard me mention not only about Financially Strong Latina, the event, which is now over, but because of the huge demand of more information, we decided at the end of the event to continue the experience. And we created a membership called Financially Strong Latina, La Membresia. I know, so creative, right? (laughs) And right now, until Friday, April 30th, that is the end of the day, Friday, April 30th, you have the opportunity to enroll at founder member rates. You can check out all the details at jenhemphill.com forward slash membership. Now, if you have questions about it and you just want to chat with me, you can text me at 202-918-5197. That's 202-918-5197. And I will personally text you back any questions that you may have about the membership. So I'm excited about what we have created. I'm excited about the members that have joined already. And I'm hoping to have you on board. Again, you can check that out at jenhemphill.com forward slash membership. And if you have questions, you can text me at 202-918-5197. Just text the word listener. And I know you're coming from the podcast and then just ask away what questions you have for me. Now, next week, we start a new month. It's the month of May. My goodness, it's just crazy to think. Last year, it feels like the year 2020 feels like it was just slow moving and it was crazy and tumultuous. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. And it was sad and it was all the things, but it felt like it just took forever. And all of a sudden, 2021, I can't say it's changed too much. I mean, it's, I guess it, it has improved, but all of a sudden, 2021, it's January came and then all of a sudden we're almost in May. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. So next week, it will be just me and you. It will be a solo episode. And between you and me, I don't have it prepared. So usually at this point, I tell you next week, we'll be talking about X, but you know, I'm real and I keep it real and I don't have it prepared. So it'll be a surprise. Let's just keep it at that. Next week, it'll be a solo episode and it will be a surprise. So stay tuned for that. That is it. Eso es todo. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show, to support the show. Be sure to check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 263 to refer back to the key points from the show. And remember, being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you 
And so should you. If you love this podcast, love this episode, I would love it if you share it with someone you care about. You never really know what that person is going through. And the simple act of sharing can change the direction of their financial life for the better. Bueno, pues, muchas gracias de nuevo y nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.